morning, everybody. Thank you, India, for that introduction. Uh, like India said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the first time. Glad to have you here with us. Also, welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're more than welcome to come and worship with us here uh, on Sunday morning. Um, so, so if you notice that I'm walking a little gingerly, I'm not testing out a new cool walk or anything like that, but I'm a little sore from an event we participated in uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, there's an event that happened up in Rockford called the Tough Mudder. Any of you heard of this race? Uh, it's Tough Mudder, and they don't call it Mudder. Uh, Mudder's not the name just to make it cute. This is actually like 10-mile stretch of running that's punctuated with 20 different like obstacle courses in between it. And it is just like you, you will be the dirtiest like you've ever been uh, in your entire life. And so myself, my wife, do you have a picture of our team? Uh, myself, my wife, uh, Mark Roberson. <laughs> this is toward the end of the race, so th- our eyes are a little glazed over. Uh, we don't look as muddy because we just came out of a big pool, but David Jacob was there. And it was just a fantastic opportunity to, you know, to get sweaty and muddy, to, to, to go, go deeper in, in fitness. And so there was a couple of, uh, you know, David was kind of one of the superstars. If you go to that next picture, there was this, uh, this, this obstacle, this thing that really high rings. Uh, <laughs> and if you could, I wish I had a video of this. David Jacob is like swing on this like American Ninja Warrior thing, right? <laughs> And he was the only one of the four of us to make it across. So he's all pristine on this thing, graceful. And then there's the picture of me falling, <laughs> <laughs> falling like a stone. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it, was, it was so much fun. Uh, our bodies are paying the price today, but it was so much fun. So much, in fact, that we want to do it next year. And we want our team to be at least three times as large. And so who's with me? Uh, wait, uh, India, for everybody say, woo, get their names down. <laughs> but why do we do this? Why do we put our bodies through this craziness? Well, we all pledged, at, you know, at the beginning of the year to pursue deeper measures of uh, fitness and exercising more and things like this. And so we engaged this event to put our bodies to the test and just kind of take, take it a step further, right? To go deeper in that particular realm. And it reminds me of what we've just chosen to do here, particularly in this season of church life here. I started a series last week that I was simply calling Going Deeper. Going Deeper. That means pressing past the surface level of things, pressing past that realm of comfort, and this is kind of okay, into the place where we're a little scared, into that place where we know we're going to be challenged, into that place where we're a little intimidated by the unknown nature of the, the next or the more of the Lord, um, I just get a sense that the Lord is calling us as a church to go deeper, to press in beyond what's comfortable, to go deeper as a church. We're nearing the month of September, which in the sort of the calendar and the patterns uh, and the flow of church life, people come off of their summer vacations, their kids are back in school, people enter a new rhythm, and you'll start to see more people around here just because people are traveling less and they've gotten out of that sort of lackadaisical thing. And so we've learned over the years to sort of ride those seasons and to use our, uh, this platform, our preaching and our discipleship here 
to sort of ride those seasons of your natural life. And in this season where people are more focused, more attentive to the things of God, more, you know, engaged in Christian community, we just kind of want to talk about what it means to go deeper. Um, And this series, as we said last week, is designed to address the sad reality that far too many of us are more than willing to deal and to sort of deal with the shallow end of the pool as it relates to our life with Jesus. But I told you last week, and I'll tell you again, there is more to what God has for you. Doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, doesn't matter whether you are just investigating faith for the very first time today, or you've been doing this for 35 years, in church for 35 years, 40 years, 50 years. What if I told you that God has more for you, that he's calling us all deeper? I hope you believe that. I also said last week that God didn't call us to simply enjoy a better life. He called us to enjoy the abundant life, the life that is just overflowing with God's goodness, overflowing with his light, overflowing with power and presence of the Spirit. And so last week we talked about how do we, where do we start? And we talked about the start being a place where we seek the kingdom above all else. We read a passage of scripture where Jesus said, seek the kingdom above everything else, live righteously, and everything you need will be added. Seek the kingdom first. In other words, stake at the center of your life, like move everything out of your life when you come to faith. Stake at the center of your life God's stuff and let him help you decide what you repopulate your life with. And for those who do that, they find a functionality to their life that few others enjoy. Uh, As challenging and as hard as that is to do, for those who seek the kingdom first, for those who put first things first, for those who ask, say, God, what do you want me to be about? What do you want me to be interested in? What do you want my relationships to look like? What do you want me to spend my money on? And on down the line, those people... Uh, enjoy the abundant life. And so I come this morning to tell you that the abundant life is what we call an empowered life. There's more to this abundant life than just the functionality. The functionality and the ease of life that comes as a result of seeking the kingdom first doesn't just happen to you, right? Uh, Something powers that life. And so it's important for you to know, especially if you're taking notes, that the abundant life is an empowered life. And you might ask, empowered by what? Well, the answer is simple. It's empowered by the Spirit of God. And most of us use the language, the Holy Spirit. If you grew up in the black church, you heard the Holy Ghost. I didn't hear the Holy Spirit until I got to college. I was like, who is that? They're like, that's, that's, the, that's the Holy Spirit, right? That's the Holy Ghost. It's the same right? No matter what you call it, it is the Spirit of God. The abundant life that we're pursuing, the abundant life that is the product of us seeking the kingdom first, must be empowered by God's Spirit. And if you say empowered to do what? Well, empowered to live this life according to how God called you to live it, according to do what God has put you here to do. Uh, listen, if you've engaged this life for more than a week, you know that this is not a walk in the park. If, you, if, you, if you're living this life out of Jesus, right, if you're doing it for real, this is probably one of the most challenging things you will ever do. And if you don't have something, particularly the Spirit of God, powering your life, it just doesn't go. 
I'll go as far to say that it doesn't matter how driven you are. It doesn't matter how motivated you are, how strong of a person you are. The reality is you need more than you naturally have in order to live this life right. I see it all the time. People try to muscle through this and just sort of willpower their way through this. You need more than you naturally have in order to live this life the way that God intended. You can't just muscle through this. There's a supernatural element, not just to the life that God has called us to, but to the realm in which we're called to push back against. I say all the time, there's another team on the field. We represent the kingdom of light, but there is such a thing as the kingdom of darkness. It's out of this world. It's supernatural. And so you need something more than just your motivation, more than just your drive to push back the kingdom of darkness around you, to push back the kingdom of uh, darkness in your own heart, and to fulfill the plan and purpose that God has for you. You need more than what you naturally have. And in comes the Spirit the Spirit of God, to empower the life that God intended you to have when he created you. Talking about the Holy Spirit this morning, I'm simply calling this message Empowered to Do Hard Stuff. Empowered to Do Hard Stuff. You say, why would you name the sermon that? Because as I got to pondering uh, my life with Jesus, as I got to pondering all the things that God asked me not to do, all the things that God asked me to do, all the things that God asked me to engage, there was something very similar about all those things. That in my own weakness and in my own frailty and in my own tendency to lean toward what's comfortable, lean toward what's easy, lean toward the convenient, I find that everything that God calls me to is hard. It's challenging. I can't do it from my hammock. You know, I got to get up. I got to press. I got to walk up some mountains. I got to say no to myself. I got to say no to some other people. I got to do some hard things. Everything that God asked me to do, apart from my own flesh, it's challenging. And so it occurred to me as I started to study the Holy Spirit and to remember the ways that I've taught about it and remember all the different angles that we presented the Holy Spirit here, something makes, it just clicked. We are empowered to do what we cannot do on our own. The Holy Spirit working within us empowers us to do the challenging things that God has called us to do. I'm calling this this morning empowered to do the hard stuff. And as we look at this today, particularly in the, in the sort of whole realm of what it means for us to go deeper, I think many of us, as we lean into what it means to walk according to the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, we might uncover why we haven't gained a measure of success in our life. I'm not talking about money and climbing the corporate ladder. I'm talking about that measure of functionality where there's some rhythm to your life with Jesus. There's that functionality there. Many of you have been starting and stopping. You've enjoyed just a few weeks of it, maybe a few months of it, but you always go back to normal. And I might just suppose just this morning that maybe you're trying to do the hard stuff that God has called us to do without... Uh, fully being empowered by the Spirit. I want to explore what that might look like for us. I want to look at a passage of Scripture. I'm going to look at a lot of Scripture uh, this morning. So be prepared. Turn with me in your phone. But we're going to start at John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles with you today, feel free to turn there with me. If you, those are Bibles on the edges of the road, feel free to use those. 
to engage the scriptures this morning. If you don't, by the way, have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that Bible uh, home with you. You can have it. I will also be projecting the words up on the screens today as we talk about being empowered to do hard stuff. John chapter 16, while you find it, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you, Father, that you woke us up this morning and you've invited us here uh, to worship you and to learn of you in the company of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I pray that your spirit will be here among us. Father, there are many, many things going on around the country and around the world. Father, I pray that you would uh, protect our friends in Texas. We had many Vineyard brothers and sisters, Vineyard churches in Texas, not to mention just the many people that you love there. And Father, we ask that as they recover from the storm, that you would meet their needs, that the church would be the church. I pray, Father, as days and days of rain would pour down on that, uh, uh, on Texas. Father, I pray that you would protect uh, your people and keep them safe. Uh, Father, you know the other things that are going on in the world, and we just ask, Father, that your spirit and your power and your presence would flow and bring peace and healing. But Father, we pray for us today as we engage this truth that you want to present us today, Father, I pray that we would engage this with open hearts and open ears. Father, I pray that we would be humble so that you might teach us things that we don't know. And Father, I pray uh, that for those of us who've gotten a miseducation about your spirit, I pray that you would enlighten us here this morning. God, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Uh, Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. John 16, we're going to start at verse 5. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And so we're nearing the end of Jesus' time on earth. And he's been talking to his guys a lot, just sort of preparing them for his death and him not being with them as he's been with them for the last, you know, three years or so. These, these guys don't seem, you know, I don't want to say they're not smart, but they don't seem to be getting it. And so Jesus, you see, Jesus has to repeat himself a lot, and he really has to sort of drive home these things over and over and over again. And so he's talking to these guys about him going away. And we pick this up at uh, verse 5. Jesus says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. He's returning to heaven to be with the Father. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Verse 11, judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Jesus says, there's so much I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. When the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now, this is one of many uh, instructional teachings in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, about the Holy Spirit. But this comes directly from Jesus to his disciples. And since we are his disciples, since we're called essentially to do what the disciples did, Uh, then this pertains to us, especially those of us who have no understanding or a shallow understanding 
of who the Holy Spirit is and what is his function. You can see in this particular passage that the Holy Spirit is referred to by a different name, and, you know, um, that happens several times throughout the Scripture. Uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Advocate, another uh, uh, place it calls him the Helper, another place it might refer to him as the Comforter, but all of those refer to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And so uh, Jesus is essentially uh, relating to his disciples in this particular instance because they are really sad that he's about to go away. Now, I can relate to that. If I was hanging out with Jesus, and I seen him heal, and I was convinced that he was the Messiah, and I enjoyed the safety and the comfort of life with him, as the disciples did, I would be really, really sad that he was going away as well. Um, these disciples suffered from what we might call selective listening, right? Jesus said over and over, I'm going away, I'm going to be died and crucified. And every time Jesus said it, they act like it's the first time they heard it. And Jesus often chastised them. We've been through this over and over, but they're kind of reeling from, slowly trying, slowly sort of setting in that Jesus is going away. And what Jesus says in so many words is that, listen, dude, I know this is hard for you. I know this is challenging, but trust me, you want me to go away. And they might say, you don't understand. We're crying. We're sad. Look at our faces. We don't want you to go away. Jesus says, listen, you need me to go away because right now you can relate to me. You enjoy my power and my presence here. But when I go away, the same spirit of God that flows and works through me will get to work through all of you wherever you go. All of God's people, no matter where you go, will receive a measure of the same spirit that's working in me. This is what Jesus is implying. And so if I don't go away, then the advocate won't come. If I don't go away, then the helper won't come. If I won't, don't go away, then the comforter, which you need in order to live this life out in a way that's acceptable to the creator, won't come. And so Jesus says, trust me, guys, it's hard, it's tough, but you need me to go away because you need the power and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Because if we were to boil down the very nature and the very essence and the very function of the Holy Spirit, we would say this, that the Holy Spirit, particularly as it dwells within us, as it empowers us to do and live the life that God called us to live, the Holy Spirit will always point us to God. The Holy Spirit will always point us to God. And so now imagine our broken, sinful selves coming to the understanding of who God is, that he has a plan and a purpose for our life, but that we can't achieve that and we can't discover that on our own. If we get a revelation of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's function in our life, we would understand that we will have implanted in our hearts an internal GPS system that continually testifies to the nature, the essence, the truth of who God is. An internal, indwelling presence that will constantly point us to the character of God, that will constantly point us to the nature of God, the essence of God, the truth of God, as this passage says, and will constantly give us a direct line to, get this, the power of God, not just for power's sake, 
but the power that we need in order to live this life, right? To live this life well. Jesus said, you need me to go away because when I go away, the Spirit will come on each and every person that believes. And so what did Jesus know that perhaps they didn't know yet? What did Jesus know that perhaps we haven't discovered yet? Jesus knew what he was calling them to. And he knew that the life that they were to live out was a tall order. The life that he was calling them to was full of hard things, things in which they didn't have it naturally within themselves to accomplish. And so he sends to them, and so he has sent to us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, particularly to do the hard stuff of life. And so as we look at that theme this morning, I want to point out three things that you need to understand in order to fully lean into the person and work of the Holy Spirit, to to properly activate it in your life so that you can go deeper and experience the abundant life, so that you can go deeper and experience the more of the Lord. Three things as it relates to our being empowered to do the hard stuff, three things that you need to understand. The first things you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is necessary. The Holy Spirit is necessary. I'm talking specifically for the believer. Now, this might be news to some of you because some of you didn't always attend a church that embraced the Holy Spirit. Didn't all, you didn't go to a charismatic church. You didn't grow up hearing about and experiencing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And some of you, before you've come here, and maybe even if you're visiting, you still might relegate the Holy Spirit uh, to this sort of wacky realm that those crazy charismatics, you know, the snake handlers or the people running up and down the aisles or speaking in weird languages and just making a fool of themselves, making a spectacle of themselves, that that weird Holy Spirit stuff, that's kind of out there. I don't need all of that uh, to be a Christian. Or if you're less hostile to the things of the Spirit, you might say, Well, that's cool for people who are into that sort of thing. And you haven't necessarily viewed the Holy Spirit, his empowering presence, as something that's particularly necessary. And some of us have come by that because we've just got this this whole idea of the Holy Spirit. It's like in the clouds somewhere. In other words, it doesn't really practically impact uh, your life. You don't see it as something that you know, impacts your daily life. You heard about people being healed, and you know, I would never pray for the sick. That's kind of weird. Uh, when I was first dating my wife, I was talking about, we were talking about healing or something. I was talking, I heard this story where this guy got prayer, and like his arm grew out. And my wife, who was, uh, you know, used to going to a, a less charismatic church, wasn't really familiar with the things in spirit. She just promptly said, why would God do that? <laughs> And I was sort of struck by her. I was like, why wouldn't God do that? I was expecting her to get excited and say, my goodness, let's go pray for someone. She said, why would God do that? I mean, just had this look on her face, and it occurred to me that everybody doesn't get excited about the things of the Spirit. And that many, when they hear about the Holy Spirit, they think about it in these, you know, in these revivals where wheelchairs, you know, people are popping up out of wheelchairs. That's like the dynamic power and presence of the, the Spirit of God. But I've just found But the most powerful thing that the Holy Spirit can do is just empower you to live this daily life with him. But yes, we experience the punctuated, like really pronounced presence of God where we see healings happen and people flow in the gifts. 
But more and more, I'm just, you know, drawn to appreciate just the indwell, the quiet spirit that just goes with me in the grocery store, that helps me love my wife well, that helps me stay away from sin, that testifies to the nature and character, the truth of who God is. You know, many of us haven't become acquainted with that Holy Spirit, and that particular, like the daily aspect of that with him. And so we relegate this Holy Spirit thing to the wacky charismatics, and they can have that. I want nothing to do with that. My life is working just fine on the shores of what God has for me. But as we press out into the deeper things, we find that the Holy Spirit is necessary. If you look with me in John chapter 7, verse 37, Um, It says this, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not entered his glory. And so what Jesus is talking about here is, is very interesting. It's very important to us, right? And I'm glad that was this sort of parenthetical verse there that helped us understand what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus is saying the Spirit will, if you're, if you're thirsty, and you hear this metaphor used often in Scripture, if you're thirsty, there's like living water that's going to be poured out. And the Scriptures tell us that what Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit that's going to be poured out on all those that believe. That's you. If you've come to faith, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then the Scriptures tell us that each of us are uh, endowed with a measure of God's Spirit. Like the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit is deposited in your heart that will serve, as I said earlier, as this internal GPS system that will constantly point back to God, constantly point back to the truth and essence and the character and the power and the presence of God. And so I think this particular passage is so powerful because it makes a connection between a natural necessity, water, and a spiritual necessity, the Holy Spirit. This passage is important because it makes a connection between a natural necessity and a spiritual necessity. Some of you have gone on extended fasts, and some of you will do so uh, uh, in just a week here when we start our, our corporate fast here. And you, you know, if you're going on an extended fast, you can go a long time. You can go a long time without food. You'll get a little weak. You'll get groggy. You know, you'll get easily annoyed. You'll have a short few, but you can make it a long time without food. You can make it a long time without a lot of things that we consider necessities, but you can't go that long. You can't go that long without water, right? And so Jesus is making this connection. He say, if you're thirsty, of course you're thirsty. You need water. And just as your natural body is thirsty just from the normal rigors and the normal functions of your life, your spirit or your soul will get thirsty because that's how God designed it. And as sure as your car pants for gasoline and your engine pants for oil, God has designed our souls, our spirits, our lives with him to need water, particularly the water of the Spirit. 
And so this is especially important for those of us who say, you know, the Holy Spirit stuff is okay if you're into that. It's okay if you're in one of the branches of the faith that really is more charismatic and deals with that. No, but the Spirit is essential. It is absolutely necessary. And you say, well, who says? Well, Jesus says. Now, you can argue with me, or you can take it up with the boss. The Holy Spirit is necessary. Now, if you don't come to that realization, if you don't yield to that, just like at the outset of this conversation, none of this matters. None of this matters. You feel like you can take or leave the Spirit. You can take or leave its role in your life. You can leave finding truth, real truth, especially in an age of spin and misdirection. You, you feel like you can, you can leave that up to your own intellect you're not going to make it. You feel like you can push back against sin and the leanings of your own heart, which are naturally sending themselves on your own, you're not going to make it. And some of you have found that out. That's probably why you're here or why you're back here today because you tried to go at it alone. And what you discovered, even though you wouldn't have put lang- this language to it quite yet, is I was missing something. You know, I-, I was missing something. What I want you to hear, this old sweaty preacher this morning, what you need to hear is that what you probably were missing was the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You said, bro, preacher, you just said that when I come to believe, when I come to faith, a measure of God's Spirit is deposited on the inside of me. You are correct. But Paul tells us that we have to live by the Spirit. And that it could be in there but if you don't listen to them, if you don't live by them, if you don't let them speak and have it inform how you think and how you live and how you speak and how you love, then it simply won't matter. A pastor friend of mine put it this way. You ever seen an Alka-Seltzer, you know, those Alka-Seltzer pa- pa- packets? Um, if you take a glass of water and you put the Alka-Seltzer still in the packet, in the water, nothing's going to happen. And so for many of us, that's how our life of the Spirit is. We came to believe. We had an encounter with Jesus. We surrendered our life to him. We were filled with the Spirit of God. In goes the Alka-Seltzer, still in the packet, no fizz, no nothing, right? But if we take Paul's, uh, we heed Paul's admonishment to live by the Spirit, that means we activate the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We take it out of the packet, so to speak, We drop the tablets in the water, and then we see the thing work. And then it powers our lives, and then it has some say as to how we live, and then it can point to truth and steer us away from lies and and mischief and deception because we've chosen, as Paul says, to live by the Spirit. As we live by the Spirit, we see it as something that we cannot do without the Holy Spirit is necessary. If we don't start there, we'll have some problems. The second thing we see is that the Holy Spirit empowers us for purpose. The Holy Spirit empowers us for purpose. I'll tell you about four, maybe a little over four years ago, I had a revelation about purpose, this whole idea of purpose. I was at a vineyard conference down in Urbana, and if I recall correctly, I wasn't enjoying the conference that much. I was kind of judgy about it. I, you know, things weren't going well. 
But this one speaker got up, and he spoke about purpose. He spoke about our identity in Christ. And what I realized in that moment is that much of my preaching, I've been talking a lot about God. I've been talking a lot about Christ. I've been talking a lot about the kingdom. But where I had fallen short in the sort of diet of my preaching for this church is I hadn't talked enough about our identity in Christ. That is to say that if you can know everything there is to know about God, everything to know about his kingdom, but if you don't know who you are, particularly who you are in Christ, as it relates to your identity and your purpose, where you fit in all of this, then you still will just sort of be wandering aimlessly, right? And so I was convicted as I sat there in that, in that, in that conference and the Lord just said, you've got to talk about this. You've got to frame the why. You've got to talk to people, not just about who I am and what I'm about, but where they fit in my kingdom, in my plan for them. You've got to talk more about purpose. You've got to talk about the why. Help them get where they fit. And as I begin to do that, it's completely changed my preaching. It's completely changed how I view the scriptures, even how I view the spirit, because purpose is wrapped up in all of it, the Holy Spirit empowers us for purpose. And this is really good news because as one preacher put it, God loves you so much that he has a really difficult plan for your life. God loves you so much that he has a really difficult plan for your life. Now, doubt doesn't sound like love, does it? But I've come to discover since what God called us to requires more than we naturally have, it doesn't matter what your calling is, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be outside of you. It's going to be beyond your natural means in order to accomplish it. God loves you, and he has a very difficult plan for your life. The kingdom life, if you engage it right, is a really challenging one. Now, some of you are confused because you're trying to recall last week's message, and you said, last week you told me if I seek the kingdom first, that God would give me a comfortable life. There's more of that selective hearing, right? Because I didn't say that. You said, you said, if, you, if I seek the kingdom, then God will give me everything I want. See, I didn't say that. What I said was, if you seek the kingdom of God and live righteously, everything you need will be added. And basically what that means, everything you need to fulfill the plan and the purposes of God will be added. And you've been praying for somebody else's husband for two whole years, and God hasn't given it to you yet. Like, Lord, you said if I ask. I even got two other people. You said if two or three are gathered. According to my plan and purpose. So you've been praying for things, and you've been fasting for things, and you've been petitioning for things, and you've been calling hotlines soliciting prayer for things that God hasn't called you to. You've been wanting skills and things like that that, that God doesn't want for you, that would be a hindrance for you. And I'm saying that, listen, the Holy Spirit empowers us for purpose. In other words, the Holy Spirit will only empower the life that God intended you to live. And so if you are living a powerless life, you might be trying to have a go at something that God didn't call you to even if it's noble, even if it's honorable, even if it's within the realm of the kingdom of God. You say, yeah, I, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a preacher. Dang, this, this isn't going well. 
I've had to tell a few people, you, you're striving, you've been at that for five years, man. There's no juice on that. Like the Lord's not, there's no oil on that, as they say. No, God's not blessing that. Maybe, could, have you considered that that's not what God has called you to? Some of you are trying to make relationships work and trying to live a lifestyle and be something, and there's just no juice on it. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? And what, what's happening? There's nothing sinful about this. And I've just, in the last couple of years, been saying to people, it, could it be? that God didn't call you to do that? Could it be that God didn't call you to that? Could it be that that's less than God's best for you? Could it be that you've taken to looking over the fence and covering somebody else's life and covering somebody else's anointing or covering somebody else's slice of the kingdom? Maybe God didn't call you to that. You say, well, how do I know? Because the stuff that God orders, he pays for. The stuff that he wants for you, he'll put some juice on it. It'll work. It'll go. Kingdom life is challenging, but it's, fun. it's functional. That is to say, it works. That's why some people can look at you, do what you do, and you walk in the grace that you walk in, and they're like, how do you do it? They might try to copy you, fall flat on their face. So how do you do it? God's released the grace to do what he's called you to do. He's empowered it by his spirit because he's called you to do it. The spirit empowers us for purpose, to do and be who God specifically called you to be. And some of you just need to get free in that area and just understand that you're not called to do everything. You're not called to be everything, no matter how cool it looks. It's freedom to just walk in who God called you to be and leave the rest to other people. He empowers you for purpose. And some of you have found, you've discovered that this kingdom life, it truly is a challenging one. And your, heart got, your life got harder when you engaged faith. I know the preacher told you that everything would get better when you came to faith. I didn't tell you that. Listen, when you were doing the devil's bidding, he didn't want to mess with you. And if you faced some issues, it was just sort of the natural consequences of sin, Right? The devil wasn't trying to stop you from being wretched, from being a scoundrel. And even if you weren't a scoundrel, he wasn't trying to stop you from living life according to your own rules and standards, right? And even when you were apart from Christ, your only enemy, which would have been God, is a good God. And his way of getting after you was drawing you with love and compassion and with the care through the Spirit. But now that you've switched teams, you wonder why life is so challenging. Well, guess what? All of God's enemies are now your enemies. And trust me, God's enemies are bad dudes. They don't have your best interest at heart. They're not trying to, you know, draw you into loving relationships. They're bad dudes. The kingdom of darkness. You think they're just going to leave you alone? Well, God's got them now. Let's just let them alone. Let's mess with somebody else. No, all God's enemies are your enemies now. And so if you don't have some power to live this life and push back against those things, this life is going to be hard. 
kingdom life is hard because, as we said last week, when you seek the kingdom first, you set your face toward Christ. And by setting your face toward Christ, you put your back to some of the things that used to sit on the throne of your heart. And listen, I, I, I would love to say to you that once you come into the kingdom, all the things that you desire, you, you lose a taste for them. Some of you have given yourself to things for decades. You've fed appetites for, for decades. And I would love to tell you, when you come to faith, all those things just sort of melt away. But no, those things call out to you still. They probably call out to you louder. Now that you've set your face toward Jesus and his purposes and his kingdom and his interests, this is a challenging life also challenging because of what God has called you to. And so no matter who you are, where you are, what you do for a living, or what you do in this, you know, within the realm of the kingdom, our number one job is the same. And that job is this, to continue the ministry of Jesus. On top of all the things we have to deny and run from, on top of the fact that all of God's enemies are now our enemies, on top of all of that, We've been given this one primary job to do as people of the kingdom, and it's a very challenging job, and that is to continue the ministry of Jesus. Now, some of you can look confused. I thought that's what we pay you for, preacher. You're the professional Christian in this room. You're the man of God. Surely that's your job to continue the ministry of Jesus and to do all of that kingdom Christian stuff. No, my job is to do that because that's my job, but it's also to rally the troops and to remind you on a weekly basis that that's what God has called all of us to, regardless of your place and station in life, regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of whether or not you're married, regardless of whether or not you have children, regardless or not of your ethnic background, Right? or your gender, that we are all called to continue the ministry of Jesus. I told you we're called to seek the kingdom. And at the center of the kingdom is the mission of God. And that mission is simply for the whole church, that's all of us, the church universal all around the world, the whole church, to take the whole gospel, we don't get to edit it, We don't get to file the hard edges off of it. Whole church, you and me, take the whole gospel to the whole world. Right? The whole church, take the whole gospel to the whole world. That's how we continue the ministry of Jesus. You're like, that seems like a huge task. I got to fly all over the country to do it. No, 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 no. God's got somebody everywhere. And all he needs you to do is show up at work. As a Christian, but take the basket off of your light and let it shine. You don't need to fly over someplace. If you want to go mission, that's fine. We encourage that. We fund it. But the mission field that God is calling us to, the place we're supposed to continue the ministry of God, the place that the Spirit has empowered us for purpose, is in your little slice of life where you live and where you work and where you go to school. We're empowered for purpose. For purpose. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus uh, is in the synagogue and he gets up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. 
And he happens to read from a place that is basically talking about his own life. It's a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. But Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads this. And it's basically a prophecy about himself that he's fulfilling as they hear him read this. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, this blows my mind. This is, I mean, I've been, I've been hearing the scripture since I was a little boy, right? But, but as, I, as, I, as I study this and as I, you know, uh, digest this through, through the lenses of purpose, it's that much more meaningful. It's super meaningful for us today because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And the beginning of verse, verse uh, 18 identifies where the power to do all of this hard stuff is going to come from. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit has empowered me, anointed me, right, to do the stuff. And he's going to list all the things that he did preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim that captives be released, to set blind eyes will see, the oppressed is set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It's like this is a tall order, right? This is a tall order. And even as you read further in this, it says that the eyes of the people were intently upon this. They're reading this laundry list of what Jesus has come to do, and some of them have even seen the works and the miracles already, and they go, this is the God. This is a tall order. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus, the Word made flesh, the incarnate deity, God in the flesh, if Jesus needed the power of the Spirit in order to fulfill his mission, what makes you think that you can get by without it? If Jesus needed the indwelling power of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, in order to do what God had called him to do, what makes you think that you can leave yours on the shelf? What makes you think that you'll have any measure of success in extending the kingdom of God in your particular slice of the world that God has given you to live in? What, what, what confidence do you have in your own abilities to make this happen if Jesus himself needed to be empowered to live out his purpose? What confidence do you have? And if you have confidence, where does it come from? And if you've been getting along without the Spirit, how's it going? The kingdom breaking in at work? The kingdom breaking in among your children that you lead and disciple? Kingdom breaking in in your friendship circles? Are you living the life that God has called you to live according to the Spirit? Some of you, many of us, most of us, might answer no. Because we haven't engaged the Spirit in a way that He deserves to be engaged. We haven't taken our calling seriously. You thought this was the preacher's work. No, it's our work. It's our work. So yes, we experience like when we're worshiping and we feel the power and presence of the Spirit, when we pray for somebody and they get healed, awesome. But the Spirit of God is at work every single day in your heart 
pushing you toward what God called you to do and be. And in a general sense, that is to continue the ministry of Jesus. You said, but I'm a housewife. Continue the ministry of Jesus. You said, I'm a plumber. Continue the ministry of Jesus. I'm a teacher. I, you know, it's kind of hard in the school. Continue the ministry of Jesus. You teach on the side. You're a housewife on the side. You're a plumber on the side. Continue the ministry of Jesus through the power of this Holy Spirit. I'm a nanny. I'm a barista. I'm an accountant. On down the line, you are God's man or woman in the slice of life that he's placed you in. And some of us, you'd flow in this better if you unleashed the power and presence of the Spirit in your life. Jesus needed it. You certainly need it, right? But there's, there's, there's another piece to this. Particularly if you, want to, if you want to walk in purpose, if you're going to understand purpose, you can't walk in purpose if you don't first designate yourself to the master's use, right? And some of us, you come into the grips with this is necessary. Some of you are less foggy about purpose and you're feeling kind of inspired. But there's one final thing that we need to talk about in the five minutes or so that we have left. You can't walk in purpose... You won't be empowered by the Spirit to walk in purpose if you don't first designate yourself to God. And we talked about this a bit last week. But some of us, our issue is we're, 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 we have too much duplicity in our life. We need freedom from duplicity. We're trying to give our hearts to so many things, right? And so one of the, the third thing, I mean, the Spirit does many things, but the third thing we're going to talk about today that the Spirit empowers us to do is to live holy to live holy lives. And church people, we want to shout, talk about everything but living holy. But this is like, this is like Christianity 101. And holiness isn't speaking in tongues, you know, like catching the Holy Ghost and running around the church. That's cool and everything. By the way, you could do that here, by the way. I mean, you want to run the aisles, run the aisles. You want to speak in tongues, speak in tongues. We, we've, that's okay. Some of you have asked. That's okay. You can even say amen when I'm talking. That's cool. Some of you didn't know that. Some of you feel free. Okay? But holiness simply means that you're set apart. It simply means that you are counted for. You belong to somebody. That somebody is God. That you're available for the master's use. That you've designated yourself for the purposes of God. And when you designate yourself for something, you become categorically unavailable to other things. And that's where many of us have an issue. That's why many of us have to just come on all the way in and just got busy with this thing because, well, we really like that too. And so one of the main things, before we can, before we can be empowered for purpose, we've got to deal with this holiness part. We've got to deal with this being set apart. We've got to deal with be, being sequestered for the master's use. And you go, dang, another hard thing. I told you at the beginning, it's the title of the message, the power to do hard stuff. And some of us would just, if we're honest today, we would find that few things are harder than consistently living holy. Fewer things are harder than consistently living holy. So I can come to church on Sunday. I go to a small group. I get a kick out of that. But when it comes to holiness and, and letting God's boundaries 
be the hard lines that we draw in the the sand of our life. Letting the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into places that we wouldn't naturally go on our own. And the Holy Spirit restrain us from just giving ourselves completely to our passions and our lusts. Many of us would report that that it's really challenging. Paul says this to us in Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Skip down to verse 18. Paul says, but when you are directed, I'm sorry, uh, verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And I would just put there, you're not free to live the life that God has called you to live. Paul continues in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's a pretty good list. And that's not even everything. Some of you are doing a checklist of all the things and you're like, dang, I'm, I'm mixed up in some of all of that. Or just two or three on it. That's really those things. But listen to me. The Spirit of God, as we've been framing it all along, empowers you to do what? The hard stuff. And Paul says, if you just float down the lazy river of life, if you just let yourself go, if you do nothing, you will end up swimming in this. And so you don't got to do a whole lot of work to get there. And so it stands to reason that what we essentially need, you know, the the Holy Spirit juice to empower us is to not do that stuff. To not give ourselves to those things, those lesser things that compete with God for our attention and affection. This stuff is, this is what we categorize as sin, right? These are the things that uh, just are the enemies of God. The snacks of life, as we might call it. The things that harass us, the things that uh, overpromise and underdeliver, th- these are the things. But holiness calls us higher. Holiness calls us higher. Because some of you understand that you can't be mixed up in all of this stuff and still do God's work. I've seen people pretend. I've seen people do it for a little bit. But this stuff will tell on you before long. This stuff just grows and grows. It crowds out more space and more space and more space and more space. And before you know it, before you know it, as my mom would say, don't let the devil ride because he's going to want to drive eventually, right? Before you know it. And some of you, I know your stories. That's where you were. And so where does the Spirit of God come in? Holiness calls us higher. The indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this isn't the branch of the Holy Spirit that has you running around the church and crying during worship. This is that daily spirit that goes with you in the quiet of your daily life and whispers in your ear, you're better than that. Whispers in your ear, don't get in that car. Whispers in your ear, I know you're lonely. 
I don't, I know you don't, hold on, daughter, hold on. I know you, I know you want some company tonight, but, but hold on. I know she's fine, but go home to your wife. I know he treats you well, and he has more nice things to say to, to, to you than your husband, but go home to your husband. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Put, put that tablet away. Get on the floor and crawl around with those kids. This is, this is the dailiness of the Spirit of God. And some of you have not known that indwelling power, presence of the Spirit. Paul says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit and worship team. You can come up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what I've discovered as I've looked at this within the realm of doing hard things, you don't need love unless you're dealing with somebody that's hateful, right? unless you're dealing with something that like requires that, right? You don't, love is more, most pronounced. It's most necessary in the face of something that opposes it. You don't need joy unless there's something like that's trying to crowd it out. You don't need peace unless you're waiting the proverbial, like, choppy waters of life. You don't need patience unless somebody's getting on your nerves. And there's no shortage of people that are willing to do that job. You don't need kindness unless you have another alternative and goodness, unless you're faced with evil and faithfulness, when you, unless you just are tempted to phone it in and be lazy and, 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 and skip out on the job, whatever God has called you, you need gentleness and less. You get this? And then the mother of them all, self-control, you don't need that unless there's something that's calling out to you that you need to resist. And so what Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, the way you can ex- inspect whether or not this is at work in your life, is love growing on the tree of your life. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is it growing on the tree of your life? Because that's the fruit of the presence of God's Spirit, all the while giving you the power to do the hard things, to do the things that aren't natural, to do the things that aren't easy to, as we put it, to live holy be set apart for the master's use. This is necessary, friends. There's purpose involved in this. And holiness is not just preferred, it's required. And my question to you is, how do you fare here? How do you stack up? You jog through these three things, you believe it's necessary, do you live as if it's necessary? You have a purpose in mind. You feel like, like God's called me to something, and so I need the power of the Spirit to walk that out. How, how are you as it relates to living holy? Are you designated, like totally devoted to, to God and his purposes and his plan for your life? The fruit of the Spirit growing on the tree of your life. These are the things that we need to wrestle with as we go into worship here today. So these and more are the things that we're supposed to wrestle with, with this week as we go deeper as we activate the Spirit's presence in our life um, and as we make ourselves available for the Master's use. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your power and presence and Spirit. Thank you for your truth. 
Thank you for all the ways that you call us higher. Thank you for all the ways that you say the hard things to us to call us deeper. Because the deepness of those war in the deepness of those waters that you're calling us to, it's so much kingdom activity. It's so much power and presence. It's so much fruit. And so, Father, we just give you anything that will compete with you for our attention and affection, anything that will keep us away from this kingdom living, Lord, we just give it to you. And as we worship you today, Father, we pray for tangible expressions of your spirit today. I pray for people who have never experienced your presence, never felt your presence, that they would feel it today as we worship. And everything that's keeping us from where you want us to be would be broken off of our lives as we worship you in the power and glory of the spirit. That's my prayer for us today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.